Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So now if you're just joining us here, if you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, uh, we are in a sermon series titled, What's in a Name? And we kind of bring that from Shakespeare, you know, Romeo and Juliet. He said, a rose by any other name. Uh, it's kind of true, but uh, we don't get too exacting when we're talking about roses. You walk into Mel's flower shop and ask for a rose, and you're not, you're not going to know what you're going to get. There's like 3,000 cultivated different kinds of roses. So we're studying the names of God is what we're doing here. And I know what you're thinking, because um, you've asked me uh, in the previous weeks, isn't God God's name, right? Well, and the answer to that is, well, yes, sort of. But it's important for us to study and learn uh, the names of God, because uh, it's vital as a Christian that we have a full and complete, such as it is, a complete understanding that the names of God, the names that God uses in his words um, that reflect and describe every facet of God's nature and character, or at least the ones that he wants to reveal to us. I'll give you this. I submit to you the main reason so many Christians have trouble putting their trust, putting their faith in God, or having trouble in general trusting God um, not only with the big issues in their lives, but with the small things, you know, the trivial things, uh, the insignificant details of life. The reason so many people um, turn away from God rather than turning towards God and trusting God, when it comes, you know, right down to it, when we peel away the, the facade that we sometimes put up, the truth is, is that we have very little knowledge of who God is. We have very little knowledge, working knowledge of who God is um, and how he works in each and every one of our personal lives or on a personal level. Before you get offended at a uh, kind of a bold statement like that, because basically I just told you you don't really know the creator of the universe. Um, I do at the same time, at least, uh, at least I hope, that we have a working knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But uh, we want to put a point on some of this. But do we have a full understanding? My question to you is, do we have a full understanding of what and who God is to his children? What we can expect from him? And I submit to you that his names, the names that he uses in the Bible... Uh, reveal the many, literally hundreds of different aspects, different uh, ways that, that we should know him and the ways that he works in our lives. And without that working knowledge, we're kind of just bumping around like amoebas, you know, or getting thrown up on the shore by like little things. And that's why we see very clear statements in the Bible. I say this all the time, and I, I just want this to be kind of a working definition in your head. When God wants us to understand something, he tells us with clarity. He tells us with with precision, with conciseness, statements that we can, we can literally look at and give it to that third grade student and say, just tell me what this means, and they can tell us what it means. For example, Psalm 910, this is a clear statement. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So there's a hidden, I always talk about the commands and the promises. The command here is kind of veiled. The command is to know God's name. Well, how do we do that, right? How do we emphasize that knowledge? It says right here that knowledge will, will result in confidence in the name of God. The Lord, that will result in complete trust in him for every detail of our life. And as it relates, again, to us being a child of God. So could it be that the main reason why so many people are struggling in, in trusting God is they don't really know who or what they're trusting or what they should be putting their trust in? Now, I'm not saying we don't talk the talk, because I think we do. We talk the talk. You know, I put the, the, 
the trust God theology right up there with the love Jesus theology. I mean, love Jesus, that's always the answer, right? Trust God, that's always the answer, right? What do I mean by the trust God theology or what we just say is just, just trust? And that's our advice to people going through uh, difficult times. Those who are dealing with a loss maybe right now or in the past or someone, um, someone who's facing an illness, right? Other maybe different kinds of hardships in their lives. And we say, oh, just trust God, right? We'll stand out there in, nar- in the narthex and we'll say those things, right? And I'm not saying that that's the wrong answer because, yes, that is the ultimate goal that we need to get to. Right? Trusting God is the ultimate goal that we need to get to. But it's not something we just slap on a piece of paper. It's just something we say, well, that's what we're going to do, like we slap a name tag on ourselves. But I do have this question. I said, well, you know, what is, is that our first response? Is that your first response when you're facing difficult times? Or is the phrase, you know, just trust God, is that more of a, a do as I say and not as I do kind of statement that we just throw out there? And when we do these things, we have to look at them through the vision, the lens that I talked about last week, I think it was last week, with um, A.W. Tozer, his quote. And this, the more I read this quote, the more it makes sense to me and the more I live into it. <clears throat> what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And now when we're working on somebody else, when we're talking with somebody else, you know, we're telling them to trust God. The thing we have to keep in mind, or at least think about, is what comes to that person's mind when they think about God. So not only ourselves, but what comes to another person's mind. Because I'll say this again, Christians have differing differing views of God. That might sound kind of crazy on the surface, but when you start to dig into it, it's absolutely true. So when we Christians, believers, use the word God in a conversation or anywhere else, unfortunately, there's a lot of of, of fogginess, a lot of, of ambiguity to that. But we all, at the same time, we all assume we're talking about the same thing. But we're not. We're talking about the same thing. We don't have the same views. We don't have some, so, you know, until we start talking about those ideas and those beliefs from a biblical standpoint, you know, like I said last week, I think it was last week, you know, I talked about a kid drawing a picture of God. And I said, if we all did that, if we all drew a picture of God, if we all made a statement about who we say God is or what comes to our mind when we think about God, one of two things is going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen is that they're going to be very generic statements, right? They're going to be the love Jesus theology. They're going to be the trust God theology. And then when pressed for details, that's when things are going to scatter all over the place. And they're going to be as different. Those views of God are going to be as different as each individual is different in this room. Drastically different views of God for what he is and what he thinks about us. So to get back to the Tozer's quote, you know, the most important thing about you, the most important thing to identify when you're talking with someone else, a non-Christian, is their view of God. Because people constantly ask me this. You know, they say, what should I say to a non-believer that I want to come to church? You know, I've got these people in my life. I want them to bring their kids to, to Sunday school. I want them to be, you know, and I think... Do you think I have this magic bullet or something? You know, like didn't they cover that at seminary, right? So, want a non-believer, maybe a believer that's going through a difficult time, and you want to say, you know, you know, are you ready for this? You know, you're not ready for this. Your your answer to that friend. Here's the question: How do I, what do I say to a non-believer? What do I say to a friend that's not trusting God that I want to come to church? What you tell that person is going to be based on what comes to your mind when you think about God. So 
so it's important for us to have a vision of God and, a, and an understanding of who God is so that we can bring that out into different places. Whether it's a non-believer that you want to come to church or something like that, but that's, that's the most important thing about you. And like I said, the way they're going to respond to that is based on what they think about God. Because how you talk about God, how you praise God, how you worship Him, all those kinds of things are based on your thoughts about God. How you praise God, how you worship God, all those things, how you talk about God are based on your thoughts about God, what comes to your mind when you think about God. So I ask you again, to make you a little uncomfortable, what are your thoughts about God based on? What are your thoughts about God based on? And since you're allowing me to be a little raw and honest with you today, stay with me for a moment here because the next thing I'm going to say has a couple of different levels to it. Christianity has several different what we call denominations, right? Different. We have Catholics, we have Lutherans, Methodists, Episcopalians, Baptists, Anabaptists, Presbyterians, Pentecostals, right? All these different, all these different denominations have very different views about God. And so I, I submit to you this. Um, um, are our answers, the answers that we have about God, are they based on God's words or are they based on something else? And if we were completely honest, we would probably say, I hope they're based on God's words, but they're probably based on something else, something that somebody else has told us, something else we've heard from somewhere else. Probably not what we heard straight from God's words. And I know that might be a little uncomfortable, but I think that's kind of, on, on a lot of levels, that's pretty true. So that's what this series is about. That's what we're doing here, looking at how God reveals himself to us. You know, like anything else we enjoy in life, it's going to take a little effort to understand it, like I said, completely. And I say that kind of um, almost in quotes and air quotes because we understand it the way God presents it to us. And I'm not saying God presents us to it com completely because he might have some things in here that he's going to reveal later on to us. But anything, like anything else, it's going to take some time and effort Maybe even some money to put into that adventure. Talk to any of these guys who are boiling sap right now. It takes some time and some effort, right? It takes them a little doing. Anything you want to do, right? It's the same thing when we learn about God. But there's a prize, there's a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow waiting for you, if you will. And it's my goal, but by the time we get to the end of this series, which I have no idea when that's going to be, but by the time we get to the end of this series, you'll have a deeper understanding. You will have a deeper understanding of God but an understanding that's based on his words, based on who he says he is. Now, last week, we looked at the most common, commonly used name of God that's in the Bible and the words that he used for himself. And we understand a little better the names um, Yahweh and Yehovah, you know, actually the same name. We understood where they came from and how they, how they started, how they got to us. That's the name that God revealed to us <clears throat> through his conversation with Moses at the burning bush, Right? Yehovah or Yahweh, the existing one, right? The I am who was and is and is to come. So this morning I want to back up a little bit, um, both in time and um, in pages of the Bible, and look at the first word that God gives us, the first word that God gives us, the first word that God uses to define himself to us, um, to reveal to us what we can expect from him and his many different attributes. And in order to do that, we have to look at it from a Hebrew perspective. We have to get a better and a, uh, understanding and a grasp 
of the words that he uses and the names that he uses and why he uses them at a particular time. So where does the first reference to God show up in the Bible? We had it read to us this morning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how God introduces himself to his creation. The Hebrew word we're looking at here for God, of course, is Elohim. Elohim. And it looks like this. Do we have a slide for Elohim, Jennifer? We can kind of see it down there in the corner. Elohim is the all-powerful creator is the definition here when we see Elohim. And when we look, when we're reading through the Bible and we see the letters capital G, G-O-D, right? That's almost 100% Elohim, talking about creator God, talking about the all-powerful creator God, how he interacts with his creation. And when we see the word God written on a piece of paper or we're talking about the word God, a few things need to come to our mind. Tozer said, what comes to your mind? There's a few things that have to come to our mind when we see Elohim, creator, God. All-powerful creator. All-powerful creator of the universe. And tells us that, that God knows all, God has created all, and God is everywhere at all times. So when we see the word God and we talk about the word God, God knows all, God has created all, and God is everywhere at all times. All that's um, packaged very neatly in that, in that name Elohim. This is where the promises of God comes from, where he talks about things like, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Joshua 1.9 talks about some commands. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble, do not be dismayed. For the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord, capitals, Yahweh, your God, Elohim, your creator, your sustainer, is with you wherever you go. Now this next part's going to sound like um, Trinity Sunday, maybe. Um, Elohim is uh, the plural form of, of the Hebrew word Eloach. And I can't spit well enough to pronounce Hebrew, but Eloach. And it points us directly to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you know that I'm always saying that when God wants us to know something, he speaks with clarity, he speaks with certainty. But sometimes we have to look beyond the verse that's sitting right in front of us. For example, though there are those who will say that um, since we uh, have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we actually worship three gods, not one God. And I tell them, you know, Maybe open your eyes a little bit and take another look at it. And they say, well, we have opened our eyes. And we look at this verse from Deuteronomy. This is from the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, hmm, right? Yahweh is our God, Elohim. The Lord, Jehovah, is one. Okay, the word one here is the Hebrew word achad. And it, it literally means one, but it, but it goes beyond that. Um, it means one in, in plural. It's a unique word we have here. We don't really have a word to, um, of its equal value um, in English, but what it refers to is like an army of a thousand fighting as one. An army of, of a thousand fighting as one. So you've got infantry, you've got cavalry, you've got archers, all going after the same goal as in one unit. So now what comes to your mind when you think about God? This morning we're talking about the creator God. That's the first thing that God wants you to know. Right? 
First thing that he wants you to know is that part of the Trinity, but yet one. And he is a God looking for a relationship with you. He won't tire, he will not grow weary. So Elohim has depth to it. He doesn't use these words randomly and just by chance. No, it has depth to it. It talks about our creator God. But Elohim also talks about that God is a compassionate God. What comes to our mind when we think about God? Creator God? Compassionate God? Isaiah 40, 28 through 29, Isaiah says, Have you never heard or do you not understand? Have you never understood? The Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting Elohim, the creator of all the earth, right? It's almost redundant here. He's putting it in very clear, concise, understandable language for us. It's almost redundant. Everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. And now, gives us some attributes of God. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Where is a promise behind this? He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. What comes to your mind when you think about God? He is your creator God. He is your compassionate God. He is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. Never grows weak, never grows weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. This Elohim does not create and then vacate. That was our catchphrase in the military all the time. Delegate and vacate. But that's not what Elohim means. Elohim is the sustainer. He sustains those he creates. He's a creator God. He's a compassionate God. And he's a covenant God. Elohim makes pledges and promises that he always keeps. We've been kind of building into this for a while now. We've talked about the promises of God, right? The commands of God are always followed by the promises of God or vice versa. And we need to understand that every covenant that he makes is for our good and for his glory. For our good and for his glory. The covenants that God makes are for our good and for his glory. Elohim created you for his glory. Elohim sustains you for his glory. So now my question for us this morning after this conversation, um, do you know him as your Elohim, as your creator, as your sustainer, as that compassionate God, as that covenant God? What comes to your mind when you think about God? Do you think about him as your creator? Do you think about him as a compassionate God? Do you think about him as your covenant God? This mighty God, this creator God, this sustainer God, this sovereign God loves you and created you on purpose for a purpose. He has given you a purpose, and that purpose is to find him, to know him, to know his son Jesus. Those who know my name will put their trust in me. Isaiah 41.10, I'm going to leave you with this. <clears throat> God says, so do not fear. That's a command. For I am with you. 
Do not be dismayed. That's a command. For I am your God. Here come the promises. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Is he your strength? Is he the one that upholds you? What comes to your mind when you think about God? Can you please stand with me? <clears throat> the first line of the Apostles' Creed should sound different to you this morning after what we just 